Good morning. Great to be with you all this morning. My name is Amber Wilhelm. I have been attending Faithy Free for a little under a year now, and I currently serve in the preschoolers section. This morning, I will be reading three passages from the book of James. In James 1, 19 through 20, we read, Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. In James 1, 26 and 27, we read, And any, if anyone thinks he is a religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religious is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. And lastly, in James 3, verses 1 through 12, we read this. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that he who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole body. Look at the ships also, that they are so large and are driven by strong winds. They are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the, the pilot directs. So also the tongue of a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great is a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a, is a fire a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. This is God's word. Thanks, Amber. Good morning to all of you. 
You know, a few years ago, it occurred to me that I grew up in a family in which every single one of us ended up talking for a living, okay? My dad was a pastor, my mom was a high school Latin teacher, my oldest brother is an attorney, my next oldest brother taught high school for 35 years all over the world, I'm a pastor, my younger brother is a math professor, and so we talk, we talk and talk and talk. When we get together, there's, all, there's not enough oxygen in the room. My dear wife, Brenda, on the other hand, she grew up in a much less verbal family, and I will never forget the first time she she came over for supper. She was shell-shocked. I mean, she was like, we're just so aggressive in how we talk to each other, what we say to each other. And uh, yeah, it's a striking thing. All that to say is that when I grew up, I really had no idea, had no concept of what I should say and shouldn't say, how I should speak and how I shouldn't speak. I think my plan was just to say the first thing that popped into my mind which is often a really horrible idea. And consequently, I developed some habits of speaking that were really very foolish and really very destructive for other people. As we talked about last week, our words speak from whatever fills our heart. And so I had foolish patterns of, of speaking because I had a very foolish heart. I had harmful patterns of speaking because I had harmful things in my heart. That's just the way it works. And so today we're going to look at these three passages. We won't deal with everything that Amber read, but these three passages in which James warns us about foolish speech. And in light of the fact that our words flow from our hearts, we should not mistakenly think that James is giving us uh, conversational techniques or that James is giving us talking points. As if he's saying, if you just say these words and don't say these words, then everything will be fine. If we heed the warnings that James is giving us today, we will need to do, we will need God to change our hearts in some foundational ways, some very foundational ways. I'll try to point that out as we look at these passages. And so today's passages are largely negative. They're almost all warning. Next week will be more positive, more visionary, more forward-looking. Sam will be teaching from, Philipp- uh, from Ephesians 4.29. It will kind of give us a vision for what our word should be. And before we get into these passages, I want to make a quick disclaimer. Um, I don't know everybody here, but I know many of you here, and some of you I've had conversations with recently, and as I'm talking and giving uh, examples, the, the question may pop into your mind, is Steve talking about me? Is Steve thinking about me here? Just to put your minds at rest, the answer to that question is yes. <laughs> I, I am thinking about you, okay? I am thinking about everybody in the room. I'm thinking about me. What we're talking about is universally relevant, okay? And so please, as James will say, every one of you needs to get what we're talking about. The first warning is this. It involves hearing, speaking, and anger. In verses 19 and 20 of James 1, James says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person, not just a few people, but every person in the church, be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. And so James gives three rapid-fire commands to everyone. If this is not true of all of us, our fellowship will suffer, our effectiveness as a church will suffer. First thing he said, be quick to speak. And if you're, I mean, he said, "Be, be quick to hear. Did I say that? That's right, yeah, that came from the heart, right. (laughs) Thank you for that. 
I appreciate that. Quick to hear. If we're quick to hear, we are eager to get the message that the other person is communicating. And if we're eager to hear that message, it will show up in the way, in the way we, we talk. I mean, we, we will probably ask questions of the person. It will probably show up in our body language, in our facial expressions. You might even lean forward. You, you actually want to hear what the other person is saying. And so um, it will show up. Second, we're to be slow to speak. Whereas we're to be eager to hear, we're to pause before we speak. We don't do what I did grow up. We don't just say the first thing that pops into our mind for a lot of reasons. It might not be true. It might not be kind. It might not meet the need of the moment. Our words are supposed to have a very specific purpose. Proverbs 18, 13 says, if one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. Quick to hear, slow to speak. Third, we're to be slow to anger. James seems to imply that if we're quick to answer, uh, we will often, or at least sometimes, reply in anger, use angry words. And of course, anger can be expressed in a lot of different ways. It can be expressed in shouting, but it can also be expressed in sarcasm or snide comments or in uh, insults. All sorts of things. In verse 20, James gives the reason why we should be slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Anger is not always sin. And we do have a couple of, a couple of examples where Jesus got angry at people. And sometimes we imitate him and being angry at the things he's angry at. But the overwhelming emphasis in Scripture is that anger is almost always destructive it almost always accomplishes the opposite of what God wants to accomplish in a situation. Uh, for example, in Galatians 5.20, outbursts of anger, that's a, that's, a, that's a deed of the flesh. Whereas patience, which means you're slow to anger, you, that, that's a fruit of the spirit. And so our anger does not accomplish God's righteousness, God's justice. Uh, it doesn't produce what God wants in the life of the person who is angry, or in the life of the person who is experiencing that anger. Much better to imitate God. As it says in, in uh, Exodus 34, 6, God is slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth. You know, when we, there, when we do premarital counseling <clears throat> here at Faith, we do this, this exercise, just, just a fascinating exercise. We have the couple turn to each other, and they have the chance to go one at a time, tell the other person, here's one thing I would like you to do more often, okay? And the, the person receiving that is supposed to uh, uh, be quick to hear. They're eager to understand that. And so the ground rules are you can ask questions, you can get clarification, but you can't defend yourself. You can't explain why it's, it's unreasonable that you would do this thing more often, why you do the way you do, and so they, they just, their sole purpose is to understand as completely as possible what the other person wants them to do more often. I have to tell you, sometimes it is just electric what happens in this, this case. I'm going to give you a, this is a, this is a, a, a fictitious uh, example. Honestly, this is not something I heard in my office, <clears throat> but here's how it might go. The girl says, um, I wish you would be on time. I wish that if you say you pick me up at 6.30, you would, you would show up 
at 6.30 at the latest, the guy. So what you're saying is you want me to be on time. Yes, that's what I'm saying. And the guy looks at me and says, how do we do? I'm like, ask a feeling question. So how, how does it feel when I'm late? Well, it makes me feel like I'm an afterthought. It makes me feel like I'm, I'm not really a priority in your life. Why would you think that? He says, well, my dad was always late. He's always late. And that's the way I felt around him. Guy. He would never got that. He would never gotten below this, this very simple request. She was expressing a deep fear of hers. She didn't want her marriage to be like the way she had experienced her dad. And, and you just miss that if you're not quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. And so I would like to encourage you this week, try this out in a conversation. When somebody shares something with you, Make it your ambition to understand as completely as possible what they're saying. Ask questions. Be interested. Be honestly interested. See how, how far you can draw them out. What's behind it? What are the emotions? What are the thoughts? What are the preferences behind it? Don't talk about yourself, okay? Don't change the conversation and make it about you. See what happens. It's amazing. This will deepen your relationships across the board. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. The second warning involves controlling the tongue. In verse 26 of James 1, James says that failure to control the speech reveals something devastating about a person. He says, if anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his, his heart, this person's religion is worthless. And so James says, imagine somebody who honestly says, I'm a religious person. And we, that sounds self-righteous to us, but it just means devout or pious. And so for our context, you might say, imagine with someone who sells, someone who says, honestly, I'm a spiritual person. Honestly, honestly I am a devout, devout, devoted follower of Jesus Christ. And then James says, but imagine that it's also true that this person cannot control their tongue. They can't bridle the tongue. Numerous scriptures scripture suggest that just like you put a, a bridle in a horse's mouth to control it, we should also bridle our tongue. We should control what we say. James says that the person who cannot control the tongue, number one, deceives his own heart. That person is self-deceived. Number two, that person's religion is worthless. So self-deceived, and this faith that you're so proud of, it is worthless. It's worthless to God. It's worthless to you. It's worthless to the people around you. You cannot be simultaneously God-honoring and have an uncontrolled tongue. Those two things are incompatible. In James 3, as Amber read, James will explain how an untamed tongue is, quote, a restless evil and full of deadly poison. If you and I go around poisoning other people, making people sick by the things that we say, we are not an asset to God. We may think we are, 
We may be proud of ourselves for all sorts of things, but we are not an asset to God. We are actually a liability to God. 1 Corinthians 13, uh, Paul said something very similar. He said that lovelessness, which is often, often expressed in our words, says that lovelessness nullifies all these, these amazing things, gifts from God. It nullifies our giftedness. It nullifies, any, it nullifies any knowledge, any wisdom. It nullifies any sacrifices we might make. He says, if that's the brutal truth about our words, is that if we cannot control our tongue, our religion, our spirituality is worthless. And again, this is a habit of the heart. This is not just, oh, I, I lack some conversational skills. No, it, it's, a, it's a heart issue. And I've seen this over and over and over in the body of Christ. Gifted people, knowledgeable people, people with vast experience have little or no influence in the life of other believers. Why? Because they can't control their tongue. The pride in their heart, the self-promotion in their heart comes out through their mouths. and People don't want to learn. They don't want to submit to that. They don't want to say, yes, give me what you've got. No, they just, God is opposed to the proud and people are opposed to the proud. It's, it's the brutal truth. We don't have time to discuss verse 27, but there James talks about what is true of the person whose religion is worth something as opposed to worthless. It's interesting what he says. He says, this is a person who actually gives tangible help to vulnerable, overlooked people. This person actually visits widows and orphans. They don't just care about them theoretically. They don't just study about them. They visit widows and orphans, and they keep themselves unstained by the world, and that would include the speech. They don't talk the way the world talks. Proverbs 21:23 says, he who guards his mouth and his tongue guards his soul from troubles. Proverbs 10:19, when there are many words, transgression is unavoidable, but he who restrains his lips is wise. The third warning involves destructive words, and these are all interconnected, right? And this is a very sobering, even pessimistic warning about the tongue. And I'm going to summarize all but one verse in, these, in this passage. Uh, after giving a warning about uh, not many of you becoming teachers, James points out that something very small can control something very large, like a bit in the mouth of a horse or a rudder on a ship or a spark, how it can cause a great fire. He says, in the same way, the tongue can set on fire your entire life. I'm not a particular fan of the cancel culture, but we're finding in our day, people have said something 10 years ago, and it's over. They are done in whatever career they're in. Who can argue that the tongue sets on fire the world? Paul, or James actually says it's set on fire by hell, meaning it's one of the core schemes of the enemy, the enemy of our souls, to use destructive words for his purposes. We, down in verse 9, uh, James talks about the incompatibility of this for believers. He says, with it, with the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, 
And with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. He's saying, don't you get there's this fundamental inconsistency between showing up at church on Sunday and we bless God and we pour out our praises to him with our mouths. And then we turn around and curse somebody who is made in his likeness, his image bearers. We say, God, I worship you, but the people who created in your image, I curse them. If, if, I, if I blessed you, those of you with kids, and then I turned around and cursed your children, how would you like that? God doesn't like it anymore. The whole ethic in the Bible is we're supposed to, we're supposed to treat, each, treat humans, other humans, even our enemies, with respect, with love. Why? Because they're created in the image of God. 1 Peter 3, 9 speaks of this. It says, do not return evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. For you are called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. We all feel justified in insulting people who insult us, right? You insulted me. I have a right to insult you. In our culture, of course, it's celebrated. If you're really good at insulting people, you're probably going to have a great podcast, a great show, whatever. I mean, it's just celebrated. Peter says, not if you're a follower of Christ. Absolutely incompatible. We were called for this purpose, that we might be a blessing, that we might bless other people. We're called to imitate Christ who loved his enemies and prayed for those who persecuted him. may feel good to return evil for evil, insults for insult, but it does not accomplish the purposes of Christ. It is a betrayal of our calling to bless. You know, some of the biggest regrets that I have over the past 40 plus years as a believer involve words that I've said. Harmful words, careless words, too many words. Very, I, I can think of very few times when it was premeditated, where I sat and I said, this is what I'm going to say. Usually it was just Steve being Steve, okay? I can't tell you, I've probably apologized more about my words than anything else in my role as a pastor, as a husband, as a father, and as a friend, destructive words. Last couple minutes here, a few minutes here, I want to loop back to something we discussed last week. Three simple ways we can respond to these warnings. They're going to be the same three things I mentioned last week. Ask or or pray, listen, and treasure. First of all, pray. Last week I encouraged you to pray what David prayed at the end of Psalm 139. Search me, O God, know my heart, show me the things that you know about my heart, if there's anything hurtful within me. That's what we prayed last week. In light of these warnings in James, I want to suggest that Psalm 141.3 would be a great prayer. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. You get the imagery there? It's as if David is saying, God, I want you to, I want you to post arm guards in front of my mouth, Okay so that nothing dangerous, so that nothing violent will escape and injure other people. What a wise prayer. That prayer presupposes that our words are dangerous. They're destructive. They have to be controlled. Many of them have to be unsaid. 
I pray that every time I come to faith on Sunday morning, I have 20 or 30 conversations, brief conversations with people. God set a, set a guard over my lips. I don't want to sin with my lips. I don't want to have a sin to email tomorrow morning and say, hey, what I said yesterday, I wish I didn't say. I apologize. Pray. Second, listen. Listen to the conversations you have this week, okay? Notice if there are any dangerous, careless words. Notice if there are too many words. In light of what James has told us, notice when you interrupt people. Notice when you fail to ask questions, when people share something with you. They're giving you this opening. Hey, I'm willing to share my heart with you. Notice when you don't take that offer. Notice when you've Fail to be so disinterested in other people's experience that you change the subject and talk about your experience. Notice how it makes them feel. Notice when you slander other people, say things about them that make them look bad. Notice when you grumble and complain. Notice when you gossip about people. The best definition I've run across for gossip is bearing bad news behind someone's back out of a bad heart. So you're bringing bad news about somebody behind their back out of a bad heart. You're not trying to help them. You may want to make yourself look good. You may want to be a person that's considered in the know. There's a lot of reasons why we gossip. Notice when you talk, talk too much, dominating a conversation. Notice critical and negative comments about others or yourself. Someone pointed out this week that many times the critical negative things that we say to other people, those are words that we've said internally. Those are things we've said to ourselves, this, this dialogue we've had within ourselves. And so listen, see where you need to grow in relation to the categories we've discussed. Pray, listen, and then treasure. Treasure up God's word so that deep within you have this reservoir of truth and wisdom from which to speak or not speak. And so you could start with these scriptures that we've looked at today in James. You could look at the book of Proverbs and I would just encourage, read Proverbs once a month or once a year, but read the book of Proverbs. You'll find many, many wise things about the tongue. I'd like for the worship team to come back up now. We're, the last song we're going to sing is, Yet Not I, But Through Christ in Me. And this is a song that reminds us that if we're going to make any progress, any progress when it comes to our speaking, it's not going to come by our willpower. It's not going to come by just muscling it and trying to make it happen. It's not a self-improvement project. It will only come through Christ in me. The Holy Spirit is the only one who can change the human heart. Okay, The Holy Spirit is the only one that can make us quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. The Holy Spirit is the one who can give us compassion and contentment so that we can listen and care about other people. Heavenly Father, we trust you. We trust that you can do this thing in our hearts. We cannot bridle our own tongues. And so we trust in you. We trust in the death and resurrection of Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.